Uh, I'm Michael Foster. And I am non-tenant, and you're listening to It's Good to Be a Man. This is the podcast where we are extending God's house and father rule by helping men to establish their own houses in strength, workmanship, and wisdom. Today, speaking of wisdom, we're going to talk about your viral tweet regarding single mothers. But first, I want to ask you a question, Michael, because okay. I seem to recall a few weeks ago, you said to me, Non, you need to tone down the polemics and not stir up as much controversy. Did you say that to me? I, I did say that to you. And did you take your own counsel? I, I did not. I, I've, got, I've got some real problems. All right. Give us a breakdown on what happened. What went down? Well, I was just minding my own business, driving to a chiropractor's appointment to get things fixed in my body. And I had participated in a conversation with some men, one man in particular, about how they were being pressured to date a single mother that seemed unwise. And I cautioned him. Then I was thinking, yeah, this is something that people need to know more. They need to know that you should approach marriage to a single mother or a serious relationship moving towards marriage with a single mother more carefully than you would with a woman that's never been married that doesn't have a child. So I put that out there and I did it at a stop sign and I drove a little bit. And then I thought, well, I need to add some clarifications on there because a lot of people are going to get you know their hackles raised. Get to uh, the doctor's office and I, I type out a little mini thread and I, I kind of move on with things. And then it just exploded. Let me go back and pull up what I said. Because the good thing was, is I, I was sick and I was busy last week. I worked probably like 50 hours last week, somewhere in that range. And I was, uh, our family's got the flu right now. So I didn't really have time to get deep into this craziness. So what I said is I greatly caution men when they're considering marrying a single mother. A lot of well-meaning, naive men have found themselves in a terrible marriage or worse because they failed to ask the obvious question, why is she single with a kid? And so I followed it up by saying, I'm preparing for an onslaught of white knights who deny the female or deny female agency and see women only as passive victims. Scripture doesn't do that, but soft evangelical men do. Some single mothers are loose women. It's that simple. And then I added, not long after that, maybe she's single because she's a widow. Maybe she's legitimately divorced from her husband. Maybe she made some terrible, wicked decisions when she was younger and she isn't the same person. Maybe. But maybe she's an harlot and still makes terribly wicked decisions. That was it. It was like just shy of 12,000 comments. Only about 876 retweets, which isn't that big. But screenshots of it. It's known as being ratioed, right? That's 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 right. Your ratio of comments to retweets is wildly off. It's pretty showing crazy. that somebody is extremely angry on the internet and doesn't want to share what you've said, but thinks that they ought to voice an opinion about it. I was encouraged that I got over 5,000 hearts. I was yeah. thinking like, I was a little surprised that I had that, that much. And I did get a lot of positive emails and encouragement from folks and, and from a few single mothers and quite a few men who married into single mother situations. That's what happened. It went nuts. Allie Beth Stuckey of Daily Wire got involved. Uh, Rand Paul's chief strategist. A bunch of other blue checks, blue hairs. 
and a bunch of white knights were coming down on top of me, man. The tweet that I most appreciated was the one accusing you of being an incel who had to hire a woman, a, a paid actress, in order to pose for your profile picture. I thought that was great. I, if that I, isn't, I mean, that's shooting yourself in the back of the head. <laughs> That's incredible. I, I love that they keep calling me an incel. Imagine a guy who's just ripped. He's got no fat. He's in great shape. You don't like him. So you say, hey, fatty. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and the guy's like, it's not going to hurt his feelings. So I'm like, incel, I've got more kids than I know what to do with. And believe it or not, Emily is my wife. I mean, I have not personally met Emily, but I have spoken to her on more than one occasion. And if she is a paid actress, she is really good at her job. Those and conversations cost me a ton of money. Man. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, like a lot of coaching was involved. I'm like, yeah. Don't watch out if he asks too many questions. Stay vague. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was crazy. <laughs> it was nuts. I've already done two interviews on this that we'll probably have to stick in the show notes. I did one with the guys at Adam Robles and Matt Williams with Reform. Yeah. How do you say the name of their show? Reform Jellical, I assume. Okay, yeah. And then I did one with Canon Calls just last night. This does kind of fall into our series on singleness. This wasn't planned, but here we are, late Sunday night recording, or Sunday night for me, Monday afternoon for you. And I I wanted to talk about why this happened, why people got so upset, and look at a tweet that just went out earlier today by Carrie Baldwin that was liked by Amy Bird, and just get some some of your thoughts on why this happened. Why do you think everyone was so mad at this tweet, Nod? It's because women can't be sinners. If you say that possibly a single mother isn't a good catch, then you're essentially poking the sacred cow of our culture, which is single motherhood, because our entire culture has become built on the back of uh, government-funded, well, (laughs) people-funded, government-dished-out aid to single mothers who decided to explode their families. It's not that every single single mother is a single mother because she decided to divorce someone. And it's not that every single mother who decides to divorce someone is divorcing for a bad reason, but the majority of single mothers have made really poor decisions to get to the point that they're at. And that's not to deny how hard being a single mother is, and it's not to deny how bad men are, but the fact remains women have agency too, and women love to have agency until it points out, until someone points out that their agency has been sinful. That has to be possible because we have people seeing the exact opposite. Matter of fact, that was probably the thing I saw the most is that sure, there's single mothers out there, but it's only because of terrible men. Is it okay to say that the reason they're single mothers is because they're all bad men that don't follow through on their commitment? And if you're willing to say that, could it also be true that these, some of these women, a large portion of the majority of them have made a really bad decision that has put them in a situation that is less than ideal. I have sympathy for people who make bad decisions about the partnerships they go into because I've made bad decisions myself in business quite recently, in fact, in the last few years, and it's still biting me in the ass. You can't have it both ways. Either women have agency and are responsible for their decisions, even when they're bad, and even when at the time they didn't realize how bad they were, or they don't have agency and all this accusation about patriarchalists treating women like children and saying that they are, you know, they need to be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen and they can't do anything is true because they have no agency. They're not responsible for what they do. You can't have it both ways. Either women are responsible or we're right and they have no agency, but either way we're right. 
I think the point I was making was not the one that everyone latched onto. My point was, hey, be careful. This might lead to a really bad marriage because of when you look at the rates of divorce in second and third marriages, the rate of divorce when you blend families, when you consider the difficulties of being a step-parent, when you consider the fact that fornication and sexual relationships prior to a marriage covenant have a lot of intense consequences. When you look at all that, this is something to move into with caution. Now, everyone thought there was a subtext of me saying that these women were bad women, and that's because they latched on the, the whole harlot thing. But that was just one possibility. It, it did expose that even if she was a harlot, even if she was a woman that slept around, like I talked to a guy recently that told me that he went out with an old friend, a girl who was a friend, and she said after she got out of a relationship, she was going to the bars and hooking up with guys, and she told him it was over 20 guys. And then she said to him, he was just a little shocked by that, and then she said that she's thinking about getting involved in church again. <laughs> and wow. uh, so that woman, according to... It's like an old you can eat buffet, and then you just go back home to church. Yeah, exactly. And boy, what does it do? I mean, it affects men and women both having multiple sexual partners, And this is the point we made last time. These higher rates of singleness don't track with higher rates of chastity. Not at all. These people are still, they're having sex or, or, or some form of sex. They're fornicating. So that's what all I was saying is that all these things could cause difficulties in a marriage. But what got brought out is that even if they were harlots, that you still should marry them, right? How dare you not marry that woman. After all, isn't this the gospel? Which gets to a tweet the guys over Geneva Daily put out, and then you just just retweeted. Would you mind like in kind of explaining what's going on here? This is a tweet from Kerry Baldwin, who is notorious in our circles, and it was liked by Amy Bird. And it says, the message of the gospel is literally that Christ rescues the prostitute from her sinful choices, marries her, and adopts her children without her doing anything meritorious. Biblical patriarchy is not Christian in capitals with two exclamation points. And this is in reference to your tweet. So I literally, I nearly spat my coffee when I drank, when I drank, when I, when I read that, I, I just, it was like a gift. I couldn't believe that it was stated so bluntly. It's crazy. It is nuts. I was just, I was blown away by it that, well, explain, once you explain to the listeners, the, the various things that are wrong and interesting about this tweet. Where do I start? Let's see. Firstly, I think it needs to be noted that the message of the gospel is not literally that Christ rescues the prostitute. One of the things that's happening here is Carrie is drawing on legitimate biblical symbolism. And I suspect that she's probably got in mind someone like Peter Lightheart's treatment of John 4, where he illustrates that all of the instances that we see in the Old Testament of a man meeting a woman at a well is of a covenant head or a representative of a covenant head meeting his wife. So you've got Abraham's servant meeting Rebecca. You've got Jacob reaching, meeting Rachel. You've got Moses meeting Zipporah. And then when you get to John 4, you've got Jesus meeting this Samaritan woman who is a half-breed harlot. She's had five, wife, uh, five husbands. And it's 
symbolically important because what is happening is that this woman is being presented as it were as a bride for Jesus. She's not his literal bride, but she is a representative, a symbol of the church itself. And the idea is the church is a half-breed harlot. All of us, it's made up of people who are idolaters, people who do not belong to God in the first place. We're not sons of God, we're Gentiles. And so the, the import of that in John 4 is largely to do with the, the Gentiles being grafted in. It's largely to do with uh, idolaters being accepted by God and being cleansed by God, uh, being provided the living water by God. And you can take that and you can twist it and you can say, well, since Jesus saves the church who is a harlot, and in this case, he, he also saves this particular woman, although he didn't actually marry her. Therefore, all Christian men should act like Jesus and marry single women who are single because they were harlots, which is insane. I mean, that's not the gospel. You can say that the gospel is symbolically that Christ rescues the prostitute, but to try to twist that into the gospel is literally that men should man up and follow Jesus's example by marrying harlots makes no sense at all. There's a, a huge, there's a, it's like the, Step one, da da da. Step two, question marks. Step three, profit. What's step two? How did you get there? It's quite a leap. I mean, this goes back to we wrote that series together on Mrs. Wrong, and we opened it by talking about this guy who kind of writes books on how to pick up women in different cities, and then Lori Alexander. And they both based, and Lori Alexander is this, you know, kind of a fundamentalist, does the transform wife blog and she has social media accounts and this other guy was kyle something i forget his last name kyle trouble and they both end up giving the same basic advice uh, on standards for women and they both get hated right they're just like it was nuts you want to talk about being ratioed and hated and what they were suggesting is that there are consequences for sin and that if you marry a person that has committed those sins there might be problems in your marriage. I remember Kyle Trouble said one thing is find out what her attitude is towards her father. We got a pickup artist saying that's that's really good advice, man. If yeah. a woman doesn't respect her dad, even if he's a bad man, let's say her dad's a bad man and she doesn't respect, that will bring consequences into your marriage. And that's something that ought to be worked on, something you're aware of as you move towards marriage. It doesn't mean that it cancels her as an option, but it is a red flag. And so what's going on is anyone suggesting that living a immoral life may disqualify you as an option for a Christian man is more than they can bear right now. And they're like, well, wait, 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 wait. The church is imperfect and Jesus, Jesus marries the church, right? And what about Hosea and Gomer? What about that? And you look at what's the goal here? Like, well, the goal is to say that people can live this hellish, uh, sinful life. And that some man should then save them. Do we say this about men? Of course we don't. There are pastors like Chandler and Driscoll and every church I've ever been to beating on men for being players and sleeping around and, and fear of commitment. How and, dare you? And what you realize is that there's a real generational gap here. And, but I was part of this group just a couple of years ago where I didn't know the number of sexual partners that women were ha having. I didn't understand the, the nature of the relational marketplace or sexual marketplace. 
And I didn't understand the effect that Tinder and dating apps had had on people until I started to talk to them. And a lot of these, a lot of the pastors out there are boomers and they're, they're going back to an age that obviously men and women have fornicated from early on. Uh, so fornication is nothing new, but there are times where you see certain sins peak or come more prevalent. And I think the boomers are assuming the nature of things is like when they were kids. And it's not. It is It is madness right now out there. I and actually think the boomers have inherited guilt from their fathers about the number of men that slept around and the double standard that there was with men sleeping around being fine and women not being able to do the same thing. That makes sense. Sort of madmen. Yeah, exactly. They've interpreted that internalized guilt as saying men are actually always horn dogs and women are always pure as the driven snow. I was talking to a good friend of ours and he was telling me how he was in this interaction with a pastor and this pastor was rebuking two different men on two different occasions. And these men had been having sex outside of marriage and they were members in this church. So he rightly was disciplining them. But what was telling in his correction of them, he said, do you think those women want that? They don't want that. <laughs> Actually, if it wasn't rape, doing? if it wasn't rape, they definitely wanted that. <laughs> they definitely wanted it. Women are sexual beings. Of course they want to have sex. Duh. And the women know that their sexuality is power. We see that in the Proverbs 7 woman, of course. But that's true of all women. My wife's sexuality is power. Right, I have had eight kids with her. She yeah. she holds my attention. I love her long brown hair. I love her freckles. I love the way she makes. She just made us roast beef tonight, man. I was eating it with a little horseradish sauce. It was amazing. Um, her feminine character is very powerful, and I need it in my house. But the power of of the feminine can also be turned evil, just like the power of the masculine can become evil. And these people seem to deny that. And these boomers are white knights. And a lot of people didn't seem to know what white knights were. But a white knight is a guy that rushes to help a woman, to protect her. And that in itself is good. Scripture teaches us that men are to protect those that are in need, in particular women and children that are in need. And the problem with modern white knights is that they want to protect women from legitimate criticism and from legitimate rebuke and correction. They want to enable women. They want to say that a woman has agency except when she is going to sin, and if she sinned, it was a man's fault. And she and they are there to step between that terrible man and her to exonerate her from all possible guilt. And what's really pathetic is that typically these are the kinds of men who would never protect a woman in real life. If she was actually being mugged in an alley, they would never step in. They're, too, they're, they're cowards. They would scream, I'm calling somebody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You see white knights in the um, abortion uh, conversation. These are people mm-hmm. that cannot bring themselves to say that, yes, indeed, women who kill their children are murderers. They yeah. do it on purpose. It's a willful choice. Yeah, they pay an assassin who has MD behind their name to do it, to give them drugs or to use a saline solution or to cut them up in the womb. But those women are complicit in a, in a murder con- conspiracy against their own children. And the pro-life movement 
can't ever bring themselves to say that. And that's, yeah. that's one version of it. But it's funny. I know a lot of older pastors who, um, in one way or another, I respect, who would actually say, yeah, those women have engaged in murder, but would st- still say, oh, I don't know. I think single mothers are heroic. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, yes, it's good that a single mother didn't kill their child. Right, yeah. but that's natural. <laughs> that's right? a pretty basic baseline. Your natural inclination is to protect a child, especially for a mother. And yes, it's true that it's good that a woman is providing the basic needs for her kids, so much so that the state hasn't intervened to take the child away. Those things are good. Thumbs up. But that doesn't mean that she's a good mother. It doesn't mean that she got in that situation because of good uh, decisions. It doesn't mean that you ought to marry her. If she's repentant and she's in the church, you ought to love her and help her. And I remember a conversation I had with a woman who was a single mother in a church I previously served in. I was talking to her about the whole single parent issue. And, oh, she was so refreshing. And she's a lovely woman. She came to that church and had a lot of uh, pregnancy difficulties with one of her kids and that she had at a wedlock. But she was just, she was glorious in her submission to God. And the longer she came to that church and the more sermons she came to and the more she served the church, the more beautiful she got. And I thought, man, this is, mm. this is a woman I'd like to, some of my friends to marry if I could just find the right guy for her. And I talked to her about this and she said, no, no, you're, you're right to caution them. You know, if I see a guy with children, I, I, it's kind of a early disqualifier, even for yeah. her as a single mother, because she knows the difficulties and she was just so frank and honest about it. And that's the problem with so many evangelicals is that they live in an imaginary world. They live in the Twitterverse. It is imaginary because if you just, if you stop and think about it, just from the point of view of the averages, most men do not abuse their wives and most men don't die young. Which means that if a woman is a single mother, she probably hasn't been abused and she probably isn't a widow, which leaves a very limited selection of options as to why she's single. And the main one is that she didn't want to do First Peter 3 and submit to her husband, regardless of whether he was a believer or an unbeliever. Well, I tell you that my comments don't say that. Every single one came out, I mean, well, not every single one, but the vast majority of the single mothers or professed single mothers that responded to me said that their husband had been abusive. And part of this is because now we've taken abuse and we've gutted it of any real meaning. So obviously we would have an issue with a man physically abusing his wife. Without a doubt, we would. It could become at some point a grounds for divorce. It's not an automatic grounds for divorce. If people are offended by that, I'll just say, look, women are more physically abusive to, to men than men to women in, in a lot of cases. Or there's a lot of stats you can look at to show that it's how prevalent it is among women. So are we saying that if a wife slaps a husband, that he can, that's it? He can divorce her? <laughs> he can get out of covenant? Of course we wouldn't say that. But it is something that that we would be against. It's a violation of, of basic nature of a man to protect a woman. And obviously uh, Christ says that we should, that the hating somebody and being physically violent towards them in one way or another is ultimately a violation of the sixth commandment. So we have our concerns there, but now abuse is just making someone feel bad. Yeah. I mean, and these are things we can't talk about. And, you know, I got hundreds and hundreds of, direct messages. I spent an hour tonight responding to direct messages, the kind ones, you know? (laughs) And so I got through, I don't know how many, like 60 of them. 
And the other ones, I just, you know, I just, <laughs> my favorite one was once someone said, why are your eyes so far apart? <laughs> I was uh, like, man, I, I got, is real, yo. I got so many insults in high school, but that's not one that I ever heard. I thought, I thought it was a pretty normal, pretty normal distance between my pupils, but <laughs> <laughs> whatever, you know, as I was going through those and, Thinking those guys, I also saw hundreds and hundreds of people telling me to delete this thread. Delete this. This is something that can't ever be uttered. This is yeah. something that they need to silence. And yeah. you're right. It's not just that people aren't saying it, but when it's said, it has to be shut down. And we had people yeah, trying to get me fired. can't be discussed because then you might actually convince someone because they know that the facts are not on their side. It's not like the way that atheists respond to God. They, they often put up a pretense of rationality, but the problem is in the heart, not in the head. It's not a matter of facts. It's a matter of hating the facts. Exactly. And I mean, these guys were so mad at me. They tried to get me fired from my job. Um, any church that I've ever been associated with publicly was got a bunch of messages or inquiries about me. There was a place where I spoke at that someone called up claiming to be a journalist investigating me. Um, uh-huh. uh, all my social media accounts, they tried to hack. And this was, it was a real, I, I knew this, I'd seen this happen to other people. Mm. And I considered it happening to us. And you and I have some, some plans on what we'll do if we get kicked out of Facebook or kicked out of Twitter. Yeah, we've got our disaster recovery. Yeah, so we've been thinking about that because we know it's a possibility. It also reminded me that if we're going to move the Overton window, and the Overton window is this, this little block of, of what's considered valid principles to make public policy on. If we're going to shift it from the unthinkable to the policy making, and we're going to have to be willing to step out and have moments like this. And, and so hate Donald Trump all you want, but Donald Trump has shifted the nature of political discourse. And one reason that the liberals can't stand him so much is that the old rules don't apply. You used to be able to shame people in the silence, but yeah. <laughs> Donald Trump doesn't have any shame. You know, yeah. I, I mean, I, I say that not as a virtue, but I do see how it's, benefiting some of us yeah so most people and especially politicians they lack backbone and they lack principle and very often they even lack any serious conviction of the things that they say and so if they say something and enough people scream they'll just automatically the natural response when a whole bunch of people get angry at you is to apologize you don't want to be (laughs) that guy you don't want to be in the on the brunt of that kind of anger and so you apologize so when you say something like this, the natural conditioned response of everyone to get you to shut up is just to scream at you so that you'll apologize. And when you don't, they don't know what to do. I think that's one thing that made people mad. And I actually decided that I was willing to lose my job over this. Yeah. I was actually willing. Yeah, I, Cause I just thought like, this is a moment where my character is being tested, where how sure. far will I go? And I had some really close friends tell me that I did it for attention that told me that I knew this would happen, that I was purposely trying to be a shock jock. And it wasn't anything like that. I, w- I just knew it was an issue. My followers, our followers are mostly men and we're speaking to their issues. A lot of them are young men or divorcees that are trying to rebuild their life. And so I wanted to be sensitive to the counsel they need 
which is why I'm not like talking about single fathers, which is a real mm-hmm. small group to begin with. Yeah. But yeah, a woman should think twice about marrying a single father too. I mean, that's kind of obvious. No doubt. I think this is what we're up against. This is what we're up against right now. We're going to have to be able to weather the storm, not just on Twitter. Twitter, who cares? Like people ask me how I dealt with it. I signed out. That's all I did. I what? Out. You were able to ignore what random people on the internet were saying about you? I signed out and watched Ford versus Ferrari with my family. Wow, that and, is serious frame. And uh, I hung out with my wife, who I love. It was actually quite easy. And so, <laughs> so Twitter is easy. But when, it, when this sort of firestorm happens in your church, and especially when you don't have influence, it is definitely difficult. And yeah. people are gonna ha- they, people do have to choose their battles, and it depends on the context too. And so we can't, you know, I mean, I guess if you're going to go out there and have these sort of conversations online, you better be willing to deal with the, the fallout. There's some people behind us that encourage us and even fund us to some level who are doing it because they're in a, in a situation where they can't be as public, but they're yeah. glad that we are. And so they're like, hey, the Lord's given us these connections, this sort of money. We'd like to back you. And so you just have to kind of know where you're, at, where you're at. But we have to be men of integrity that are willing to stand for our principles. And the, this is why you got to get your finances in line, guys. Pay off your debt. Get rid of your debt. Um, get multiple streams of income. Become anti-fragile. If you haven't got a reasonable measure of peace about what it is that you're trying to tell other men to do or other women, whatever it is. If you're the kind of person who is trying to lead before he's followed, you're going to end up really fragile because any criticism is going to prick your conscience. It reminds me of Amy Bird. Um, I posted a tweet about her a couple of days ago, suggesting that she's not a daughter of a daughter of Sarah because she resents God and his created order and wants to teach. And, I'm a nobody. I mean, I don't have that many followers. You've got followers, especially now. I don't have many followers. I got 10 likes on that tweet, but she wrote a, an, a public article that read like a diary entry responding to You me. know, there's an old saying that, you know, you throw a, a rock into a crowd of dogs and the dog that yipes is the one that got hit. Yeah. yeah. You know, when you've been wounded, you have to defend yourself. So if you're easily wounded, don't get in the fight. And that's why, that's why I refuse to, really nuance anything. I expanded at some point with another thread uh, that I thought might help some people, but it, it wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't really interested in saying, well, I'm just being misunderstood, right? First off, it was pretty clear. It wasn't that I was being misunderstood is that they didn't, they thought this was an opportunity to paint me as some nut job fundamentalist that hates women. And so that that was the narrative that they wanted to push forward. And I knew they're going to push it forward one way or another. The moment I start to deny it and walk things back is the moment I lose ground. Jesus talks about the, the Pharisees and the tax collectors and the lawyer stands up and says, Hey, when you say this, you insult us also. And he's, he does it. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to imply anything about you guys. He walks it forward. He's like, yeah, woe to you too. That's right. You know, another thought I have on this before we close out here in just a couple of minutes is that I had a lot of, like I said, a lot of good friends mad at me uh, over this. And it, it made me realize that liberals a lot of times 
whether they be political, theological, whatever, liberals are mad at what you're saying because they disagree with it and it's causing them conviction and they hate to feel conviction. Conservatives, though, they do not want to look unreasonable a lot of times. They do not want to look bad. And when you are bringing all this negative attention down on you, you're making us all look bad and you're creating discomfort in our life. And a lot of conservative people who in their practice would actually line up with a lot of things that we teach and we believe in. And even in small, private, contained conversations, they would say a lot of the things that we're saying. They do not want this to be part of public discourse because they don't want to look like idiots or they'll, they'll distance themselves. I mean, this is how we got complementarianism in the first place. It was shame over God's word being cool shamed for what what God actually says and for the facts on the ground. You, you can't believe that. It's not cool. We'll shame you. And so th- there's a kind of idolatry that's built into conservative ev- evangelicalism and has been for cent- centuries. <laughs> I mean, arguably, there is something there in the centuries, but it's been built into it for generations. For my tribe, my theological tribe, Presbyterianism, this is a big problem because we've long... Um, idolize the intellectual, and that's taken the form of academia a lot of times. And yeah. Academia uh, is often taken over by liberals, and that that also would be uh, clearly demonstrated by just a cursory reading of American Presbyterian history. Uh, yeah. You see that happen. And so the, the desire to seem reasonable and fair-minded and above the fray is definitely an idol for evangelicals of one sort or another, I think the thing we have to be careful on is that recognizing that as an idol and not playing into it, but also realizing that doesn't give us carte blanche on acting like a fringe crazy idiot on everything, saying whatever you right. want. And I think that's the part. <laughs> you got to keep it between the ditches. It does. I, uh, I honestly thought what I was saying was fairly common sense. And would get some people upset. I said onslaught of white knights. That was hyperbole. But it turned out to be true and not be yeah. hyperbole. <laughs> but, but that's what I was thinking. And, and so I think we, as we go into this, we're in this season of adjustment right now in the church. That we're going to have to be willing to say hard things, uh, hard realities, and stand by them. And, and know that people are going to really try to destroy your life. You know, but we can win. We can win. We we can win by standing our ground. And any parent knows that you never give in the demands of a child throwing a tantrum. Mm-hmm. And as you stand your ground and you discipline them and call them to be obedient to God's word and to the truth, that slowly but surely you make ground. And that's what we have to do culturally right now. So I think our big prayer would be that God would give us men with uh, steel spines and not spines of spaghetti. No one respects a man with spine of spaghetti, not even himself. Let's end on that note. Until next time, brothers, be on alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. (laughs)